may be seated. I am continuing this morning uh, on a theme that, that started a couple weeks ago in reference to the Holy Spirit. It seemed uh, only appropriate that if we were going to go into Romans chapter 12, uh, looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that we should be as much as possible on the same page, if you will, uh, in reference to the things of the Holy Spirit. And I think it will give a little better understanding of, uh, as we review this thing, making it fresh in our minds. Uh, as to the things about the gifts of the Spirit. So uh, we will be looking with Acts chapter uh, 2, and I'm going to go to that scripture. Yeah, I'm going to do it right now. The scripture reading uh, is, starts with uh, uh, verse 36. I think it says 37 in, your, in the bulletin, but I'm going to start with verse 36 of chapter 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added to uh, that day. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. First day of... of the church, if you will, the birthing of the church, the day of Pentecost. Uh, Ted read what happened on that day. We're going to go back and look at that in a minute. But uh, what I wanted to just quickly review was where we have come so far. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is not an it or a substance in the sense of something that kind of pours in and pours out and flows out or whatever. The Holy Spirit is a being. He is the, that one part of the Trinity, the person of the Trinity, uh, that allows God to be omnipresent everywhere at once. Again, looking at God the Father. How often do you think about it this way? When God the Father is spoken of, where is he located? I heard somebody say it. Be bold. This, I, I, I think of the... Uh, Something I was watching the other day where the guy was speaking, he said, and this is where you talk. No. Uh, you know, uh, what, you know, where, where, do you, where is he? Heaven. Do you, huh? On the throne in heaven. Okay. So he's locational. God the Father sits on his throne in heaven. Christ the Son. Where is he located at this point? Locational, okay, but he is in a physical body still with scars, according to John. He is the revelation of God. He is the physical revelation of God. Has been, is, and always will be, that physical representation of God. Even the theophanies of the Old Testament are attributed to the sun. Like in the burning bush, that would be the presence of God, the Son, physically revealing the Father. 
How is God present everywhere at once? Through his Holy Spirit. Each of them functioning in a unique way and yet all of the same divine nature. So when we speak of the Holy Spirit, we are speaking of God. There is nothing that, that he thinks or does or, or in any way involves his nature or character that is anything other than what God is. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is so much the representation of God that, that uh, in Colossians and others, it says he was the exact image so that Jesus could say in John chapter 14, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Okay, now we have God, the Holy Spirit, and it says that Jesus spent you know, quite a bit of time, especially in the, in the, the upper room, uh, just before he was arrested, went out to the garden and prayed and arrested. In the upper room, he spent a lot of time talking about the Holy Spirit is going to come. And when he comes, he's going to be the helper, the comforter, the teacher, all the things that, that, that he was going to do. And he made it very clear, he said, that the, that the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world of truth. But he said the Holy Spirit has come, when he said this, to you, the apostles, it's speaking in the upper room, and I think then ultimately into the church, to convict the world, and he said, uh, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Sin, once you realize the idea of being convicted, you know, conviction of sin is to see something that you know is wrong, the righteousness is how we know it's wrong because it, we see it right, if you will, in, in God or in, or in his word. And in the result of that is that we realize there needs to be a judgment. And the world is going to be convicted of that, but through the church. The Holy, the Holy Spirit doesn't come to the whole world and speak. He comes to the church and speaks through the church. That's what happened, by the way, on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit spoke through the apostles. He's come to convict the world of truth. and He will do this through the church. And I put in here my side note saying, how? And it is basically the church declaring the word of God. The church sharing, declaring the word of God. In Romans 10, we're told that, uh, we went through this before, uh, about the, the need of hearing the gospel message in order for salvation to happen, in order for people to hear, so that they will know that they need to confess and, and with, their, with their heart and speak with their mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son and to be saved. They, they said, how are they going to know this if someone doesn't tell them? That is what the church is called to do in the power and through the Holy Spirit working in us. So it's interesting, by the way, if the church is going to convict the world of sin through the church, who does he have to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment first? Us. Okay, and how is he going to do that? Through his word. He's consistent as can be here. He's going to do it through his word. 
Now, when we look at the day of Pentecost, and we've already looked at it at, uh, in, in our reading, uh, verses 1 through 12, uh, we see the mighty power of the Holy Spirit coming on the church. And he comes with a purpose. He comes to empower the disciples to be witnesses to Christ. This is something that he said he was going to do. This is the way he, he started, and, and the, uh, the writer Luke puts it this way in, in uh, Luke 24, uh, verse 49. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Power. There needs to be a source of power working in us to accomplish the things of God. In Acts chapter 1, a similar statement Jesus is making to the disciples is just before his ascension. In verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What's the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit coming in power on them? To be his witnesses, to be the witness of Christ, the church, the word of God in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so they faithfully go back into Jerusalem to the upper room and pray for over a week. And then Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes on them. This idea of the power of the Holy Spirit repeats itself several times in the, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 13, 16, a couple other places. And so I was trying to, to put together uh, a picture here, and I found several that referred to uh, pictures that were put out there for, that helped me understand that the Holy Spirit comes to do uh, several things, but three specific things that we're looking at here in order to bring this power into, into uh, our lives. He brings to open up the scripture. Remember, we used the idea of, of to be light, that he's bringing light into the world. What does the world do with light? They, what, they try to put it out. They don't want to see it because it reveals what? Sin. They don't want to deal with sin because then they have to deal with the reality that there's a, 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 a judgment and all that. See how it works. So Holy Spirit brings light. Uh, one author put it, illumination. He illuminates. He makes things to be, you know, clear. Uh, he, he brings, in addition to what happens at the point in time we become a Christian, being the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, uh, I believe that's the proper term at the point of baptism of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit comes in you, you get the Holy Spirit. There is no more Holy Spirit to get in the reference to a mount. He's in you. But yet, the Scripture talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. He comes to open our hearts, our, bring light, illumination, and to fill us. This idea of filling is to get a hold of every part of us. 
not just to be in us, but to have a hold of us in the sense of our mind, our thoughts, our eyes, our hands, our feet, you know, the, the idea of who we are. Having all of us is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, powering us. And the purpose that he wants to do is, again, to declare, to share, to preach, to teach his word. So I want to take first a look at this idea of the light coming into the world or illumination. And the word that I, the way I see it here is, is opening of the heart and mind to receive, apprehend scriptural truth. Opening of the heart and mind to receive and apprehend or understand, uh, but apprehend is even bigger. Apprehend is to understand and put to work. Uh, scriptural truth. The Holy Spirit causes the child of God to understand the truth revealed in God's word. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 12, 12, he says, Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We've received the Holy Spirit to understand the things given by God. Martin Luther made this comment. He said, nobody who has not the Holy Spirit of God sees a jot of what is in the scriptures. I love the way, you know, old writing goes, but nobody who has not seen the Spirit of God sees a jot of what is in the scriptures. A jot, a tittle, you know, those old words, meaning you don't even see a little bit. And it doesn't mean that you can't see the scriptures. In fact, in fact, it goes on and says, all men have their hearts darkened so that even when they can discuss and quote all that is in Scripture, they do not understand or readily know any of it. So he says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit and you're reading the Scriptures, you can sit here and read it. You can see the gist of it in the sense of, of a storyline, the literary side of it. All of that, you can put it together. You can maybe uh, parse, you know, take apart and put together the Greek grammar in such a way that you're an expert you actually could be an author of Greek grammar books and, and, and refer to the, the translations of the Bible and do them all. And still, if Martin Luther is correct here, and if what we see in, in Paul in 1 Corinthians is correct here, you could still, without the Holy Spirit, would miss the meaning of what the Scriptures are all about. So he said, you know, you can quote all that's in the Scripture, but they do not understand or readily know any of it without the Spirit. The Spirit is needed for the understanding of all Scripture and every part of Scripture. So I put in my notes, to go to college, seminary, to learn the, the language of the, of the Word, to develop skill in teaching and preaching is not a substitute for spiritual discernment and understanding. I had a... Uh, Experience I've shared a couple of times uh, before. Uh, Bible college. And uh, I was a little bit older in college, married already with two kids. And when I started, and uh, there was uh, another married gentleman, so, you know, and couples that were older that we kind of gravitated into a group. And, 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 uh, one of the, the couples, the, the husband's name was Bob. Yeah, so you know, it was in one of the names I could remember and, and spell correctly forwards and backwards. 
And uh, so uh, he was sharing with us. And I, you know, one of these things is we were kind of having one of those get together, get to know each other meetings, sharing a little bit about our testimonies and stuff like that. And uh, he was even older than I was. It's one of those funny things. You know when you're in, in, in college and, 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 and you're older, when, when a freshman student or a first-year student turns around and says to you and as you're sitting in the classroom, oh, you're Mr. Hapgood, aren't you? <laughs> uh, well, Bob was, was even a little older than I. In fact, he'd been in the pulpit for 20 years prior to starting Bible college. I'm trying to figure out what's he doing there. He's already been to seminary. He's already got his master's in divinity. He's already, why is he going back to square one? And he was quite candid with it. He said he had a Martin Luther experience, actually in the book of Romans. He'd been preaching for 20 years in a liberal denominational church that... Uh, believed that the scriptures were, were, were primarily good words to live by, but that they, you know, there was no absolute Holy Spirit, God-breathed content. And when I use the idea of parse, a uh, 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 word where he can give you the, the breakdown of a verb like you do with in English, am, is, are, was, were, being, being, been, and you have all the state of being verbs like that, well, you, you know, he could do that in Greek like that. He said he was sitting, preparing for a sermon, and as he was reading through, he had that, you know, that, like I said, a Martin Luther experience. He says, wait a minute. This, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not getting this. I've not, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I have not been connecting this to this to this, and this back over to this, and it just opened up before him. And he said for the first time he realized that he had never made a personal confession of, uh, to Christ in the sense of giving his life to Christ as Lord and Savior and, and looked at his word as something powerful and precious. And, you know, it was just theology to him. Philosophy, if you will. A good set of rules to live by. And so as he preached, that's basically what he'd do. He'd get to the Sermon on the Mount and say, see, we're supposed to take care of the hungry and, and feed the poor. And, the, and they did that, by the way, effectively. He started preaching the next Sunday, and his congregation kind of took a step back because they weren't expecting the gospel. And his elders, his, his leaders, his, his board, had a, a visit with him that afternoon and said, what's going on? And he explained to them what had happened. And they didn't know what sure to do about it, so they contacted their district office. And the district manager came up after the next Sunday to hear Bob preach. And Bob preached again from the gospel and the, 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 the sovereignty of God and, and, and how man can't save himself, but, but that he needs uh, to be saved. And, and uh, the district office, uh, the manager from there pulled him aside, talked to him, and they had another meeting, and they basically said, we're going to give you a, a couple of months sabbatical <laughs> to figure out what, you're, what you want to do here. 
And he realized that what he wanted to do was to preach the gospel and not just a bunch of platitudes. And so they let him go. Now, at that point, he says, I figured I needed to go back to square one and start all over again and get it right. It was one of the most exciting testimonies I'd heard because, you know, it was just, here's a guy who had been preaching for 20 years. And now the Holy Spirit opens his eyes, I believe, brings him into a personal relationship, enters in, and now his, his heart was just flooded with, with new insight. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine, Paul says, "It is written that no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him." Goes on and says to the Corinthians, "These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything in the depths of God." For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit, capital S, of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us of God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's how Bob was. He could read it, he could take it apart, put it back together, but he could not get the spiritual content until the Holy Spirit in him opened up his eyes and, and let him see it. And along with bringing this idea of illumination, opening our eyes, bringing light into us to see the truth of God, the Holy Spirit also brings with that a sense of boldness and power. And this boldness and power, again, comes back to what I've been sharing earlier, to declare, to preach, to speak the word of God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, familiar verse uh, to a lot of you, most of you. Paul writes, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, uh, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Be filled with the Spirit. I'm not a Greek scholar. Bob could have gone to this and, and, and looked at it in the, the original language. And he would have told me that this was an accurate statement. But it means uh, the way the, the words are and in the tense they are uh, basically means that, that this idea of being filled is an ongoing repeated action. Uh, you could put it, uh, let the spirit continually fill you. 
So we have a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit, an ongoing, repeated action. And I thought, can I see this anywhere in the apostles? And I thought, well, yes, in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, uh, in, in reference to uh, Paul and, and uh, or, uh, yeah, Paul and what was going on, or excuse me, Peter, what was going on with him and, and the, the disciples as they were preaching. And especially looking at verses 8 through 13, uh, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to the, the Sanhedrin. To, and he's called to, to give an account of why he's doing what he's doing. He says, and Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to crippled man, they just healed that man in, in, earlier in, in, in the chapter. By what means, or in chapter 3, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders with, uh, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What had the Holy Spirit done here? Filled with the Holy Spirit, they saw a boldness. These men they came right to the heart of it and spoke the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ is why this man is here, standing here healed. And uh, it's an interesting thing. The Sanhedrin had a sense of conviction on them. They said, man, these guys have been with Jesus. They sound like him. They were really also very upset. They didn't know what to do with them. Threatened them, eat them released them, they went back to the upper room, prayed with the other people in the upper room, and they prayed for boldness to do what? Preach the word of God. It says in Acts chapter 4 that the, the upper room shook again. This time there wasn't speaking in tongues and, and this type of thing. There was but a, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And it says they went out and they preached with boldness. It's repeated again several times in the book of Acts. I see it with Stephen in Acts chapter 6. You see it with Paul in Acts chapter 13. And even Paul's prayer request in Ephesians chapter 6. I want to share that one with you. Verses 19 and 20 of chapter 6. And also for me, praying, he wants, you to, he wants him to pray, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Desire to, to have that boldness, the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. 
I'm hoping that, that you can see that the power of the Holy Spirit is an important part of the picture, both in declaring and receiving the Word of God. There is so much emphasis at times on the, on the Holy Spirit and the gifts that we've, we, we neglect this part of the essence of, 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 of why the Holy Spirit is here. I, as we go through the gifts, intend to share with you, uh, I, I believe, some awesome pictures and things of what God wants to do in, in, in his body and in his church as the people uh, re, you know, look and see what God is calling them to do. But the first and foremost picture is to understand that the Holy Spirit came with a very specific purpose in mind, to open our hearts to the word of God and to, and to bring that word of God to a lost world. And to do it with boldness. And this sense of boldness is without hesitation, without holding back. So that when you see something that's untrue, you, you, you pronounce it so. If you see something that is true, you pronounce it so. In other words, you stand with the word of God with a sense of absolutes and you don't vary on it. So that when you see the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, you mean the literal death burial, and physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you hold to that, even though you may be sitting in a group of people who don't agree. Sometimes they may even want to run you off. They certainly did Paul. Even on, on, on Mars Hill. On, you know, basically, you know, uh, he, uh, all the philosophers wanted to hear this new stuff. Paul was talking about. I finally got to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I said, oh, we're done. And basically with the intention of when you read it through, you kind of get the, my, my paraphrase. Don't call us, we'll call you. Yeah. And Paul makes it clear in his writings, for instance, going back into Corinthians, if you would, uh, if, you know, in, in, in the second chapter, well, Paul in his writings there makes it clear that it's not his great preaching style, but the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, uh, Paul tells them the gospel came to them in, in words and in power. The Holy Spirit and the power of the Spirit. Meaning human words, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Another picture I like of, of, in reference to the picture of the Holy Spirit, again in chapter 6 of Ephesians, going back to verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness of uh, 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 readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances take up the shield of faith which you uh, can extinguish all the fl flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God 
If if nothing else happens this morning, what I want you to see is the tie of the Holy Spirit with the Word of God and the importance of it. I think of of, uh, Hebrews chapter 4 where it talks about the the Word of God being a two-edged sword that can pierce and and, and cleave even the bones down to the marrow and, and this type of thing, the idea of piercing deep. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. So I kind of just uh, uh, tying things up a little bit here. The Holy Spirit comes to the church, to the body of Christ. It chooses, you know, he's working through the church. He's preaching, declaring the word of God with power through the church that brings conviction to the world. The hope is that the, the world will catch glimpses of his, its sin, God's righteousness and his judgment, and the opportunity that through the word of God, those who God has called would hear, and the Holy Spirit will... Open their eyes. Go to First Thessalonians chapter one. Starting with verse four. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has, this, has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but also uh, your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. Again, that power the Holy Spirit working through them. Kind of taking one step back, I want to repeat one more thought here. The Holy Spirit's presence in the believer's life is essential to his total understanding, appreciation, application, understanding, uh, implementation of the Scripture. Without that, you miss the spirit, the meaning, and the life-changing purpose of the word. The Holy Spirit speaks through, in conjunction with the word. He always operates in line with the word, the inspired, God-breathed, unchanging word of God. He always works in line with that. And I'm, you know me, I'm this person that needs pictures, and I'm reading along... Uh, a while back, and it was one of these things that got stored. I said, where was that? You know, and uh, when we were doing our heaven study, and uh, Randy Alcorn makes a statement uh, in, in one of his uh, parallel things to that, that, that study uh, about the Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to share this picture with you. S- steam engines, like in trains, steam engine needs steam to move forward but it also needs tracks or rails. 
and then uh, quoting more literally here, just word for word, we need the steam of God's spirit if we are to make progress. But we also need the rails of God's word to keep us from going astray. Always be hand in hand together. And within the framework of everything that I keep repeating and sharing with you as, as, as we look at what Peter said, if you go back and look at what Stephen said, you go back and, and, and look what Paul has said, uh, you find that over and over and over in the power of the Holy Spirit working in them as they declare the things of the Word of God, the primary core of, of the message is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Take you back to Acts chapter 2. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. I love that part right there. This one you, you guys think you, you did it in? He was, the foreknowledge of God was what, what put it together. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it is not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, a prophetic picture out of, of David's words, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make full of gladness with, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, what he's saying is, is that these students have been speaking about him. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God was sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Through the Holy Spirit as he's preaching, Draws from what? The word of God. This Jesus God raised up, and, on, <clears throat> and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out, his, um, <clears throat> out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstools. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Absolutely preach the power of the Holy Spirit, the things of God, and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. What was the result? Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What happened? The 
Holy Spirit came in power, preached through Peter, through the church, the word of God, preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were pierced to the heart, cut to the heart, which means brought of conviction in reference to sin, righteousness, and judgment, said, what must we do? This idea of being convicted is one of the things that when we come to communion should always be a part of what is happening here at the table. There's a lot going on when we share in communion. We're sharing the picture of the, of, of, of the body of Christ, Christ coming in the flesh, the incarnation of Christ. We're sharing the picture of the blood of Christ poured out for us. We're sharing the picture of the cross where he dies and has those, his last breath says it is finished and the completed work of the cross taking our judgment, our punishment on himself. We also are told in Scripture where Jesus says, and as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me and, and, and until I come again. And so we see the, the promise of the second coming of Christ. So we see all of these things, but we also see uh, what Paul brings to us in, in, in 1 Corinthians very clearly is a time for self-examination. Every time we come to the table, every time we think of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, it should pierce our heart in, in a sense of bringing us back to our knees in thanksgiving and joy because of what God has done and remembering and knowing what it is that he has done. He has taken an absolutely helpless, hopeless man I'll refer to myself, who could not possibly bring anything to the table to save himself and gave me salvation. And as I confess in, with my mouth and, and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, he promises me eternal life. He has convicted me of sin. He's shown me what righteousness is. And he's even shown me my judgment. And in order to bring me to himself, because I have sinned and I have no righteousness, he pours out the son's sinlessness and righteousness on me as the son took my judgment. That should always, always pierce my heart. To ask the ushers to come and to uh, pass the communion out, hold it until we've all been served, and we'll share together.
that up, please? Thank you. Why should I gain from his reward? It says I cannot give an answer. And I can't give an answer in the sense that I comprehend how God transfers and does it, but I know the answer is in Christ. And so when he says he can't give an answer, part of it is that picture. It's beyond comprehension and understanding what God has done. And, the other, and yet in the other point we say, but this I know, which is part of the answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. With his breath that is finished, we used that picture earlier in the word there. And Jesus gave us this picture of communion to remind us until he comes, until he shares with us the marriage feast. He said this is to be that reminder. His flesh broken for us. After having given thanks, breaking it and passing it to the disciples, he asked them to eat it and to do so in remembrance of him. He also took the cup made that indelible picture for us, the picture of his blood poured out to purchase the covenant of grace. And he asked us as often as we would drink this to do it in remembrance of him until he comes again. Father, again coming to your table with thanksgiving, to know that you have brought everything to the table, put everything on the table necessary for our salvation, and then simply invited us to come and to take blessing from it. Thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes to your salvation. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us of all of our sins your indwelling of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that through the indwelling of your Spirit, you would illuminate, open up uh, our minds to your word, that we might indeed be bold to preach it, to share it, to give testimony, as Peter tells us to. And Father, we ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would bring a transformation in us. As we read the word, with our eyes being opened, that you would bring us strength and power to cause the word to become a daily part of our life, not only as we read it in the sense of absorbing it that way, but in action as we react and, 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 and move through the days that you put ahead of us. We worship you, we praise you, and we thank you for all that you've done, and especially for the words it has finished. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?